another episode of not your average operator with me paul mellon mcfadden and uh we've got my normal two stooges and we've luckily been joined by our old mate casey who's uh, agreed to join us again casey how you doing man good mellon thanks for having me back guys this is uh this is an awesome platform again so we're hoping that you're going to elevate the the conversation above what these two rabble generate how you going there uh, shall we, are you Colonel or General or a dic- Dictator, uh, <laughs> Raf in friggin' Libya in your palace there? How you doing, mate? <laughs> there's, oh, there's, there's the laugh again. Listen. No, 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 no. I was laughing because I thought he was talking about you. No. no, no, no as soon no, as I realized no. it was me, I, I literally stopped, stopped, stopped laughing because I don't think it's funny. <laughs> Dude, I'm good, man. I'm uh, just living it up out here in the sunny Middle East where it's too hot. To uh, to talk about well, it's, what it's Mike, not, is what? It? It's you, look like you want to say something, Mike? It's yeah, like you, a pleasant, it's like a pleasant winter, right? Pleasant winter. Raph's in a four star hotel with air conditioning and room service. He's over there. Oh, it's tough, and it's not the Middle East. Dubai is not the Middle East. It might be location wise, but as far as experience wise, uh, uh-uh. uh, he's in Vegas. Yeah, he's in Vegas, pretty much. Yeah, it's all it is. It's it's a Middle he's Eastern Vegas. Vegas. So, Mike, how you going, man? How you been? What's going on? Uh, I, you know, I was feeling pretty good, but starting off like that, I mean, you just ruined my day. So, uh, (laughs) sounds like a dying bird. No. So really, uh, I was going to give some advice, but literally if you want to get into like the topic today, like just don't listen to Raph because literally (laughs) anything's going to tell you, you're going to wind up like him looking like a, like a lonesome immigrant in a foreign country, just sitting in a hotel telling him like, this is how bad my life is. You know, so oh god, so Mike, your beard has fallen off. Does that indicate that you've uh, returned to work? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm back to being a good, uh, a, a good professional. You know, you can't, you can't do my job unless you have a good haircut and shave, um, because when you're quote not in wartime or conflict, um, that's what really matters. So you're saying that Michael's out, my son? He can't do it. He's got no. He doesn't have a good haircut according to you too. No, actually, he's probably right in line, man. He's got a he's got a he's got a high and tight with some long hair on top. That's that's good, and uh, he's he doesn't have to worry about shaving. So he's already a uh, he's already set. Well, I mean, he's got to he's got to work on that fade though, because he's got that mushroom tip, and that doesn't go over very well. No, oh man, he's gonna he's gonna not be happy when he hears this later. Casey, how about you, man? How was your uh, Christmas and years and all that sort of stuff, man? It was great. You know, I took the, took the week off after in between the two holidays and just got some uh, awesome family time and uh, kind of kicked back, unwind and uh, just enjoyed it. So it was a, it was a much needed time. And are you awesome able to still build? Family. Can you build right through the season? Does it end for you guys up there? Like, I know nothing uh, about the weather or about construction, by the way. Yeah, so that week between, we actually got like a foot and a half of snow up there. <clears throat> um, and guys are still crushing, um, cruising through it. So it uh, it slows us down a little bit. Um, but we uh, we figure out a way to keep going. Lots of shovels and uh, heat blankets and all that good stuff. And we keep going. 
Well, you heard it here first, guys. If you're looking for a construction crew that don't stop for the weather, don't come looking for a soft Australian who doesn't know what to do if it gets close to freezing. You need Casey Ingram and his boys up there in Spokane. <laughs> All right, so uh, the topic, as you probably saw in the show notes tonight, guys, we're, uh, we're having a chat today with a bit, little bit of career advice. Four people who've uh, trod different paths with you know a little bit of success, it must be said. And certainly the four of us feel that we've got a little bit to offer people who are perhaps looking for a, uh, a break in or uh, avenues of attack to, to move towards it. So the topic this week is what advice would you give someone looking to join your profession? And, you know, you've got uh, two pilots, but in totally different uh, branches and with different, very different ways of uh, entering the service. And you've got uh, an SF dude and you've got a, a Marine come construction. So I'm thinking we're going to hear a whole lot of really good info and it's going to be interesting to see where the overlap is. Anyone got anything uh, they wanted to say that was funny before we kick off? Yeah, we've all watched Top Gun already, so just throw that one out. Nobody cares. The, great, the greatest documentary film of all time. <laughs> also the greatest Christmas story of all times. Is it? Top Gun? It's a, no, it's a joke. Yeah, it, was a, it wasn't a good one. Well, because everything is a Christmas story. Oh, God. With, with you millennials. <laughs> with the young people. All right, yeah. so I'm going to kick it off. Um, so my story was uh, high school in Melbourne in the southeast corner of uh, Australia. And uh, at the age of 17, I joined the Army. And then at uh, 21, I applied for and got into the Australian Air Force as a pilot and uh, started my pilot training. So officer training at 21 and aircrew training at 22. And what would I, what would I uh, offer in terms of advice, my path was a bit unusual. I, not from a, I was the only one on my pilot course who had not uh, done pilot training beforehand. We had one guy on the course who had 3,000 hours. And as Raf knows, that's a fairly significant number for a guy starting out. Like I'm at sort of five, five heading to six at the moment after uh, 23 years. So he had, he had a lot, I had zero. And most guys probably had around 400, I'd say on my, on my pilot course. I was the only one who joined the military prior to, to uh, applying. And that was actually my road that I took deliberately. Uh, my family, I think I mentioned in the previous podcast, wasn't in a position uh, with my dad having passed away. My mum was, you know, it's not like we were struggling to eat, but there was definitely no spare money lying around the house. And uh, pilot training is expensive. And so I sort of considered my options at about 16 and thought, right, I'm going to go for a couple of years in the Australian Army so that I can then argue successfully that I've got commitment that's going to make up for the fact that I was unable to spend tens of thousands of dollars on my pilot training. So for me in the army for a couple of years, and then uh, I did a, a couple of semesters at university and then applied for the air force and got in that way. So advice, things that I did uh, well, I did a lot of reading. Um, I know I keep mentioning Stephen Covey's seven habits, but I, I read that while I was going through the recruiting process. Uh, for the Air Force, and it definitely got me in a very good, positive frame of mind uh, in a challenging period. I, I also, um, advice that I'd give people, so things that I did, I, I got into some flight simulator games, and it's it's a funny thing. It actually does give you some frame, uh, terms of reference uh, at a much cheaper cost than any, any flying lessons. There's a whole lot of stuff in the books about how the aircraft work. There's uh, terminology that, that can help out, and there's... Um, interpreting flight instruments in, in a limited way. All of this stuff helps. Like if you're gonna play a computer game, 
probably I'd recommend playing a flight simulator game of some kind rather than say Fortnite or uh, t Tetris. Um, so flight sims and breeding are super cheap. I would uh, encourage people who are considering it to look at practice tests, stuff like uh, you, can, you can get some of those um, IQ tests that are administered. You can pick them up at some specialty uh, technical bookstores and stuff like that. Often uh, batched as um, prep for people joining government jobs and they can get you just in that frame of mind on how the psychometric type testing goes, the, the sort of aptitude testing that leads in. So some general reading, pick up some motivational stuff, get some technical stuff if you can, practice tests, flight sims. I'd recommend most people go and do at least one flight um, in a, a Cessna at your local uh, general aviation airfield. So it'd be probably a couple hundred bucks, but you're gonna have much more of an idea of whether this whole getting into the air is really for you. Because when I was a senior cadet getting close to graduating, we had a guy who'd done four years in the Australian Defence Academy. He'd done an engineering degree with honours, waiting to get in, into become air crew. And he turned up as a junior pilot, went for his first flight and immediately suspended, like self-suspended, withdrew from pilot training. And he'd, wow. never he'd never flown before. And he spent like an hour and a half continuously vomiting and he needed to be assisted out of the aircraft and off the wing. And he literally was taken to medical and freaking self-suspended withdrew. So that sounds like Raph coming out of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name? The Volstead something. I can't remember. <laughs> the Volstead Act. Yeah, a little bit. That's little pretty bit wild though, Melon. So, I mean, there's a guy who has done four years of uh, training through the Defence Academy and has pushed his way through a very difficult degree. He passed all the tests and get in and then literally had his first flight and was, was done. So... You know, unfortunately, he's probably taken someone's slot as well. So difficult stuff there. So I'd recommend at least one flight so you know whether it's something you enjoy. And if you were like me at that time, that might be several months of saving money up to go and do that. But that's um, money well spent. The other thing I'd say is try and get yourself to some air shows. Um, it is, you know, there's no messing around there. You are competing with a lot of people to get into these uh, military aviation slots. And being able to let people know that you've taken some fairly lengthy steps to uh, find information out and that you that you have a genuine love and you've got some proof like that if you can get to at least one air show you're going to see aircraft performing and you're going to you're going to get some sense you're going to have see the aircraft up close if you're lucky you get to, to talk to some air crew and uh, maintenance guys and you know you might even get a tour of an aircraft but you are going to need significant love not just to uh, get in to, to talk to people during the interviews, but the pilot training itself is very, very challenging. And you are going to be, um, you're not going to be pushed physically. Like I know Mike uh, certainly has got a, an, an engine there and a, a whole lot of experience, but you are going to be pushed in terms of uh, not academic training, but you're going to be pushed to your limit in terms of what you can generate. And it's, it's stuff you've never done before. Everyone's going to reach even guys with the 3000 hours. And just for info, he didn't, he didn't get through. Um, are going to be doing stuff they've never done, whether it's formation flying or low-level navigation or, or whatever it is. It's very hard to prepare for. You're, you're not going to get in there with a cup full. You're only ever going to get in there partway prepared and you're going to need a strong love to get you through that, uh, those late nights of study and chair flying and you know getting absolutely beasted in the debriefs because no one, you get no love in the debrief. And I know, I know Raf knows that at 
if you did really, really well, it's a short debrief and I only ever give you the negative points. And so you need some thick skin and the best way I find to get thick skin is to have a really strong burning desire to get through. So you get to some air shows, you hear some loud noises, you see some jet engines. Uh, we know that's the sound of freedom and you, you get your, your heart racing and you've got some sense of what it is that you're, you're trying to get through. So reading, get a simulator, practice tests, air show, uh, get a first flight if you can. Um, and you need to demonstrate that strong love to get through the recruiting and then the training itself. And I've always said, having taught uh, flying for about 16 years now, you need a fair bit of hand-eye coordination. And some people, unfortunately, don't have it. And I, <laughs> I reckon that there should be one guy in every recruiting office. He's there with a tennis ball in his hand and he's just sitting there waiting with his arm cocked. And the second that anyone says at the recruiting desk that they want to be a pilot, he just throws a tennis ball at them. And if that guy doesn't catch the ball, he doesn't get an application. I like so, it. I like that. Get some hand-eye stuff going, <laughs> like play some ball sports, you know, do whatever you need to do because it's not an academic skill. It's hard to describe what the combination is, but it's hand-eye is definitely in there and there's multitasking. I know in the US there's all this stuff about senatorial or, con or congressional endorsement and all sort of stuff, but that was not the case in Australia. I got in as a direct entry guy at 21, basically on the back of uh, having done four years in the army, which is very unusual in Australia. And, and university. So I managed to convince people and I kept slipping through the cracks and they kept not filtering me out. And somehow I got through and got my wings at the end of it. So basically what you're, what you're saying is you made it through the uh, see you next Tuesday interview. Yeah, that's right. Like the cheerleaders at the university of North Texas. Some of yes. us sneak, some of us sneak through not based on merit. All right. So that, that's, that's my list, right? Like for different people, it's going to be different things. Um, I also did some visits to air bases. There was a, a couple within a few hours drive of where I was living in Melbourne. And I got down there and, and all of that stuff, that experience, if you can smell aviation fuel and you can hear engines turning, you're probably in a good area to pick up some motivation. You guys got any uh, questions about that? Any overlap? No, man, that's solid. Um, <clears throat> it's, actually, it's actually cool you bring that up. So when I was a kid, I was part of the Top Gun effect, all right? And, and that's, that was a real thing. So people that don't know that, that was a real thing. It was the Navy's number one recruiter to fly a 14 Tomcats. Anyway, I used to be obsessed as a kid with aircraft. I, I wanted to fly the F-14, but I literally had airplanes and stuff hanging from my ceiling, F-4 Phantoms and C-130s and KC-135s. And I mean, I, I can literally look at a movie or whatever and be like, man, they're dogfighting and they're going over all this stuff. I really appreciated it. So kind of listening to that took me back to being a kid and like remembering that like, man, I wanted to be, I wanted to be Maverick in, in the thing, like flying around dog fighting with Viper and Sandman, you know, and all this stuff. And I don't know. That was cool, man. That, that, that was nice to go back. Raph and I know that even army rangers need heroes, mate. It's lovely. What the hell, man? All right. <laughs> all right. Who's next? Yeah, Raph. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'd like to piggyback off of uh, Melon a little bit. Um, and then give my piece here. So, so Melon pretty much covered the technical side of it. And obviously anyone who's interested in, in following that route, whether it's civilian or military, you know, you're gonna have to apply yourself. The aptitude is, is pretty high and for obvious reasons, right? I mean, most of aviation is, I would say once you've mastered it, uh, it's relatively kind of a fun, easy thing to do, but it's for that sheer terror of 30 seconds, a couple minutes where things go absolutely wrong, where what you've learned, believe it or not, 15 years ago will absolutely apply and it'll just come out um, when you need it the most and you don't know where it came from. So 
So I'm not going to dive down that road because Melon did a really good job talking about the aptitude and what you need to do to apply yourself. What I will talk about is I think that's something that's a bit more unspoken, but I've seen it in my career. So I was an Army Warrant Officer. I flew Blackhawks in the Army, and I've seen successful people throughout my career, and I've also seen people that weren't successful. And what do I mean by that? When I say successful and unsuccessful, I don't mean in their ability to aviate, right? Because I'm going to be completely honest with you. Once you earn your wings and once you end up in your squadron or, or your unit, wherever you're at, no one cares about how good you are except you. And even you stop caring about how good you are. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying this to give you an excuse to be a, a terrible pilot. That's not what I mean. There's a standard and you have to uphold that standard. Everyone needs to meet it, right? But then once you get beyond that, the level of difference between the best pilot and a mediocre pilot or, you know, an average guy in the squadron it's, it's like a percentage point. I mean, it's not the, it's the dude that literally spent the whole weekend reading a technical manual versus me who's out drinking beer with the boys or my wife or whatever. I just, the point is you should study, you need to study. But what I'm trying to allude to is that aviation is a human endeavor, right? These machines, they don't move, they don't get fixed. They don't get fueled up. They don't fly without people in them and making all that stuff happen. So you can't forget that. Yeah, F-18s are sexy, you know, um, C-130s, gunships, Blackhawks, they're all sexy machines, but none of that stuff does anything for anybody without the person inside. And that's, I think, the most valuable component. And I know Mike can attest to that because we worked together. I was a chauffeur for a while. Um, and I'm sure he's not going to admit it, but I know that he, he felt good knowing that the, the clowns up front were going to do him a service and getting him out of harm's way when it absolutely counted, right? There's a lot oh, of I absolutely was grateful for the professionalism and like those guys working with us, like took it up another level because they were working with us and it was, it was evident and they just took such pride in being like, we're actually getting to do real missions instead of just flying personnel as a taxi, like to and from bases or dropping off stuff. Like they were motivated and they loved doing it. And I was, I'll be the first to tell you, I was very appreciative hearing them on the radio when they're like, Hey, we're, we're two minutes out to come get you out, man. Like, that's a good feeling. Thanks. Uh, but it, so anyways, it, that's my point, right? Um, it's a human endeavor and you, you can absolutely not forget that, especially once you get your wings. The next thing is um, keep track of your debt. You didn't get, you're not going to get there alone. You're not going to get there by yourself. Yes, you're going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Yes, you're going to have to put in the burn the midnight oil. You're going to have to study like Mel and so you have to go to the technical library. That's what we call the technical library. And I, Every, all the students are in there. Everyone's a different phase of flight school. Everyone's, you know, getting ready for the next day because every day is pretty much uh, like Melon alluded to. It's a test, right? You're going to get berated at the things that you're not good at. Um, but they're going to want they're going to want to see that uh, progression. But what I'm trying to get at is keep track of your debts, meaning you're not going to you didn't get to that point, whether whatever you end up flying by yourself. Take note of everyone who's assisted you, other students, your wife, your girlfriend your mate who's probably not even a pilot, you're gonna have some really, really tough days. And there's gonna be some people who are really gonna be there to encourage you or even, you know, um, even, I know that flight school is a big competition because again, that the percentage points between the top student and the bottom student, we're talking a couple points, like no exaggeration. Uh, during the first phase of my flight school, we call it primary. I think that the spread in grades was like 5%. Think about that, the top student was at like 97% and the bottom student was at 91% or something ridiculous. The point is 
there's not a lot of there's not a lot of room for error. So, you know, do your best, but don't be that person who doesn't want to help a struggling friend, a struggling buddy, a shipmate, an airman. You know, especially if you're really good at whatever it is that they're that they're uh, that they're not that they're struggling with. So, you know, get a hold. Just keep a list of that name. Keep a list of those names, uh, especially when once you're in the fleet or the squadron, wherever you're at, um, and the guys that mentor you or the, the women that mentor you, and just and hold on to those names. And because one day you're going to have to pass it forward, or down the road, um, you know, those those relationships will actually bud into real friendships. I mean, I have tons of friends from the units that I served in, and it wasn't because we were pilots in the unit. It's because you know, beyond just the flying part, we really made some real connections. Um, and the, yeah, Melon, you're going to say something? I, I just 100% endorse what you're saying there, Raf. It's all about the people around you. And there's a lot of stuff that comes out from the people who are connecting with their group and they're maintaining that gratitude. I had an instructor who told me, you need to sit on a three-legged bar stool for 15 months to get through the pilots course. And the three legs are talent, effort and good bloke factor is the uh, term in Australia and three legs is doable. And if you don't have one, like you're like me, you didn't have any ability. He's like, you better, you better goddamn work hard and you better be a really good bloke. And he's like, it's impossible to get, you can't balance on a one-legged stool for 15 months. You might do it with two. So hard work and good bloke factor. That's the guy who pays his dues and, and uh, credits the people who've helped him. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and uh, I lost my train of thought here. Oh, and then the, the uh, last point that I was going to make is there's a saying in aviation, there's young, bold pilots, but you'll never see old, bold pilots, right? Because the older pilots have realized what's at stake and how, how quickly things can, can uh, deteriorate, right? So in the beginning, you're excited, you're a pilot, you're telling the whole world you're a pilot, you fall asleep in your helmet and your flight suit, you're, you're that douchebag, right? Everybody does it, literally, everybody does it. Eventually, after several years and, and kind of honing your skill and actually realizing, you know, holy hell, three years ago, I didn't know anything. Literally, you start realizing that you didn't know a thing till up until two days ago, and that's okay. That's, aviation is all about a progression. But just remember, once you, you've realized that, um, do everything you can to have courage, especially in the, in the face of adversity. So um, there's a lot of stories where people just push the envelope and there's people that could have spoken up and they didn't and aircraft crash, right? Um, and that, that's a real thing. I've lost tons of friends, not to mishaps like that, but the point is it's, it's a real, uh, your sense of mortality is, uh, is very palpable. I'll just, I'll put it that way. Um, every time I, I, you know, especially in the military, every time I flew, especially downrange, I knew that it could potentially be my last flight. Now you don't go into a flight thinking that way, but there's that little kernel of truth that just sits in the back of your head. And because of that, that makes you want to, you know, study that makes you want to, um, you know, whatever knowledge you're gaining while you're studying, you want to pass that on to everybody else, right? You don't want to hoard that. You don't, again, going back to what Mellon said, it's great to have talent. It's great to, to study and, and, and make yourself better, but you know, what makes what makes everything better is if you spread that knowledge out, right? Hey, listen, I just read this on the, in the manual. I didn't know this is what the GPS does when I switch these two buttons. Oh man, I didn't know that. And now you've just spread that, that knowledge, right? Don't hoard it because trust me, go ahead, Mike. That little, I just wanted to say real quick, that little kernel that's in the back of your mind, 
the little colonel is actually Kelly Hines going, hey, Raph, you need to get back in the books, man. <laughs> yeah shout out to colonel hines man absolute <laughs> legend i do to stuff legends but it was I'll, I'll shut i'll shut my yap here i'll stop beating my gums um but the point is don't forget that this 90 percent of it is is a human endeavor so be that be that that person that people want to fly with because it doesn't matter if you're literally the greatest pilot that's ever lived if no one can stand you I don't care if you're the great, I don't care if you're Chuck Yeager, I'm not going to want to fly with you. I don't want to spend six hours in the cockpit with you. And that's everybody. That's, that's synonymous, whether you're in civilian aviation, flying an airliner, which I've done, or military type flying, which, which I've done. Um, and that, that's just a huge, so, so be that amicable, personable person. I mean, if you're, if you're lacking on social skills, read a book, uh, you know, Carnegie's How to Win and Influence People in 90 Seconds. Just Read that, know it, and just be a person that people want to be around. Off my soapbox. What's up, Melon? One one little point that you you mentioned there, Raph, about um, having that sense of mortality and awareness that things can go wrong. I, I tell I tell cadets when I'm when I'm teaching them, and I tell uh, mates, you got to maintain that two percent mistrust of everyone in aviation, including yourself. So when you're doing your walk around your aircraft, you're like, this guy, you know, his wife could have been sick last night. I'm going to check all the latches. That air traffic control clearance, hang on, did he just clear another guy to the same level I've been cleared to? That wingman, you know, freaking, is he is he getting enough rest? Has he got stuff going on at home while he's flying formation off you? All that sort of stuff. So just a, not not stressing, but a 2% mistrust of everyone, including yourself. Did I really listen to that clearance? Am I really paying attention at the moment? Just maintain that. All right, good. And I, everyone. Yeah, yeah, good. And I've heard that in a different way, which is trust but verify, right? So it doesn't matter who... If you and I flew, if we've flown together thousands of times and you and I ask you if that clearance that we just got was such and such, and you're like, yeah, I think it was. I trust you, but let's just verify. It doesn't hurt. Nice one. All right, cool. So we're going to throw from, uh, we've heard enough of these two freaking pilots. So we're going to go and uh, get some real stuff from, from Casey. I'm really interested to hear what you're actually going to talk about here, Casey, because you've got such a breadth of experience in, you know, really different fields. So uh What's your advice and what's your, uh, what's your profession that you're t- going to talk about? I never knew there was so much knowledge with uh, aviation. Like, I mean, I've talked to Raph about his little freaking drawings that he's had up on his wall of pictures. And he's like, dude, I just sit there and I imagine. And I'm like, you're stupid, man. Like, <laughs> just go do the dang thing. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to pretty much, I'm going to skip the Marine Corps, uh, cause everybody, you know, knows what that's about and get into construction. <clears throat> um, and there's so many different fields of construction, right? You got your tradespeople, your subcontractors, your, uh, whatever your office support, you got supply houses, and then you got, uh, really let's talk about like the GC, the, the sub, um, superintendent or the general contractor, uh, which is where I'm pretty much at now. And getting to that point, thankfully, I had the background of framing houses, setting tile, running finished carpentry. So I knew a little bit about the whole picture of a house or a project uh, before I got into it. And then as I got into it, I'm like, oh, this is you know pretty simple. And you got to know a little bit about everything, but you don't have to be perfect. And you don't have to know everything about everything. Right. I'm just I'm there to field the questions about a weird thing in the blueprints or or something that you can't forecast uh, in getting that project done. So when 
the the biggest things that that I am learning now in the uh, position and the the houses that I'm building in these multi million dollar custom houses is I'm I'm always studying right like I'm still learning way too much every night every day looking at Instagram looking at you know just random people that can do it better and have video proof or podcasts because there's a million podcasts about building and just following those. And, you know, every once in a while, you might pick up a thing or you might find a new product uh, and then trying to implement that to make my houses and my projects and my subs just go a little bit further and a little bit better. Um, and then just the, the rewarding factor. Uh, I think I'd, touched on a little bit in that other podcast is just taking that that piece of dirt and putting nine months 15 months whatever the project length is and putting somebody's house on it right like super rewarding and and not everybody gets that but a lot of the people that are in the trades are getting that um and even though they just have a a small aspect of running freaking electrical wire or plumbing for your toilet, right? Like you got, you got to care about it enough to want to do it. And then you're going to do a better job at doing it. So little things like that, um, hands-on, like I'm freaking ADD. Like you guys probably see me over here in video, just like scooting all over the place. I can't freaking sit still, which is great. Right. It, it works into my favor on being in this position because I can bounce around so much and I can do so many different things. And the more houses, the better, because I'm able to just keep scooting all day long. So it's almost finding that perfect position for yourself, right? I know a lot of guys, a lot of my great friends are electricians and nobody wants to work with their hands anymore. Everybody's like, Oh, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Cause they make a hundred thousand dollars a year. There's electricians that make more than that. Right. So it's like, dude, just, find something that makes you happy and go do it. So I don't know. It's uh, the, the construction industry is, I don't think ever going to die, right? You can't ever have a computer build a house. Somebody's always going to have to manage it. Somebody's always going to have to be there. So there's always going to be a need for a tradesperson and getting into it younger, even better. You're going to get out of college or you're going to, at the time you got your buddies are getting out of college with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, you're going to be making more than them. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to see uh, young kids get into it and then just almost taking them under your, my wing. Uh, I mean, I'm still young. I still don't know everything, but I, I really have like a, almost a soft spot for a young dude that's getting into the trades and trying to develop him. And like you guys said, go ahead, Nolan. Look, this is gold. Just for there's going to be people in Australia, there's going to be people in Europe and the US listening to this case. This is awesome. If you're going to give advice to someone who is like they're they're good with their hands generally, they don't really not really into this academic stuff, and they're like considering a trade and knowing what you know as an insider, where are they going to get the best return? Say five or ten years out of their uh, when they've completed their training, like where would you be like that? That's a great place. I'd want my son to go into that one for the equal amount of work. He's going to be getting ahead perhaps better than some, some other trade. Uh, two electrician and plumbing, right? Usually you can be a, um, apprentice on site 
you know, you're, you're going to be into it a couple hundred bucks to buy a tool bag with a hammer and all that kind of stuff. So your, your investment is very low. And then depending on what state, everybody has different uh, local um, code requirements that they have to meet, but most electricians and plumbers are going to be a journeyman within four years. And then those journeyman wages and senior apprentice wages start to kick up. Um, you, you're, you're never working outside in the true cold, right? Because an electrician always has to have a roof over his head and he's always got to have heat. A plumber has got to do the same thing. So it's like, dude, if I'm going to be smart about it, I'm going to be one of those all day long. Great advice. Great advice. I'm sure they're like, I'm thinking son, you know, there a lot of people out there, no doubt, and going to be encouraging young friends and stuff. That's really great, mate. Well, if I could, if I could just piggyback off what Casey just said, you know, uh, there's a guy named Mike Rowe, who's pretty famous in the United States. Uh, he was on that show, Discovery Channel for Dirty Jobs. And I've been following him for a while. I follow him on Instagram. I follow him on uh, some YouTube channels. And I mean, he's just one of the advocates, but uh, he's probably one of the more prominent ones. And he's talking about how there's this paradigm shift in the last couple of decades where people have been pushing college and I'm not knocking college. Obviously, I have a master's degree. It's, it's served me well, and it's a good, you know, I won't get into it. But anyways, I did it for my, own, for my own reasons. But the point is, we've been pushing this narrative where you need this, you need a college degree, right? But it hasn't really been delivering these dreams that these kids were hoping to have, right? And I'm not going to knock any degrees. I mean, you choose what you choose for whatever reason. But if it's not a very specific, like if it's not a STEM related degree, you know, engineering, science, medicine, you're gambling. You're literally gambling. Um, and, and I say that because I think it's if you're a young person just happening to listen to this, man, really, even if a trade is not something you think you want to do for the rest of your life, listen, as an older guy looking back, I wish I'd picked up a trade. I wish I'd picked up like some sort of uh, electrician or plumbing or just any like some like a mason just to have that skill because you're going to need it down the road. Every skill that you learn throughout your life is going to be applied. Some You just don't know when, but you're going to apply it. It's just, it's just a fact of life. I also just want to throw out, I know that I've mentioned uh, the mighty Andy Bennett course on anal band a few times this is a guy he's i don't think he's got any uh, formal trade quals but when he when he retires his plan is to just he builds stuff all the time puts up pergolas and frames and furniture and build all the furniture in his house in australia beautiful teak stuff there in jarrah this is what he's planning to do when he finishes here so you know i don't think people need to be like trade versus profession i think that i think that case is showing that there's absolutely a career and you know, young people, I think, I think you're 100% right, right? People can bury themselves with a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt, and then the income that they're earning, the return on investment is horrendous, and they can actually be trapped. Versus their mate who's gone out, he's uh, as Casey said, spent out a couple hundred bucks on tools. He's got a good work ethic, and he's trained himself up and finished with a, a skill that is going to earn him and his family uh, plenty of good coin. And he's always going to have a job, stable income the rest of his life. And if I could just add you, because something just popped in my head and I, I won't steal any more of a Mike's time. This is really important. After Casey built my house, he had to move on to actual multi-million dollar homes. He's like, dude, I'm done playing with this, this poor people house stuff. Oh my God. Um, and, and so I, <laughs> so I listen, so I, uh, I dealt with some of the um, subs that, uh, that I kind of met through, through Casey. 
And I'll tell you right now, as a, as a guy who just built his house on the property, um, the one thing that stood out, and this is not just me, this is my wife, we talked about this all the time. The thing that stood out the most is there were, there were subs who I literally had to contact five or six times to try to get a job. And it's almost like they didn't want the job. Or you know, once I locked in a time or a date, it's like they always came up with some weird excuse. And then there was the other ones who were always on time, always follow through on the calls. I mean, it just, and so if you're listening and you're in, even if you're already in the trade business, your biggest calling card or your biggest trademark should be communication. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I, I mean, just maybe two days after you do the job, call back and be like, hey, just want to check in. It, are you guys still happy with the job that I gave? You will be surprised what that does for your brand. It will, it will excel, it will catapult your brand beyond what you can even imagine because what i just talked about the lacking of communication is it's it's a real thing and i was shocked because i was like does this guy not my want my money because what we're about to ask him to do is not cheap we're going to drop a significant amount of coin four or five thousand dollars and they just they're like ah you know so uh, build your brand with with being that that person that communicates and is attentive and you know just basic customer service man i just so anyways off with the rant mike yeah, no, I, listen to all three of you guys, man. I, I'm, I'm learning a lot myself being, I think, the youngest guy here. So uh, I'm actually writing down these notes as you guys are talking, like this stuff is gold. I, I really appreciate a lot of the insight, especially you, Casey. Like my dad was a plumber and a carpenter and, you know, he passed away when I was a kid and I wish I would have had the time to be able to spend time with him. Uh, he used to take me out to do jobs and all that and like plumbing and like, Hey, this is how you unclog a drain. You know, this is how you replace your, your water pipe or how to redo your toilet. You know, just like little things that are always there. Uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, that hit home. I, I appreciate that. Uh, <clears throat> jumping into mine, uh, advice for people that want to get into special operations. All right, so just to like throw a couple units so people are aware of like the ones I'm talking about just in general. Uh, they they all have their own selection and everything else in their own history, but, um, army Rangers, green berets, Navy seals, uh, air force pararescue, like the PJs, um, it, literally any unit, Br British SAS, Australian SAS, like SBS, you know, you can go down the list one sixtieth. Um, this is a huge commitment to even say you want to join. So. Back when I was in selection, there was a uh, a retired guy that came in, was kind of being like a mentor, and he did this little drill to be like, realize where you're at at all times. So if you break it down to like the world, look at how many people will be like, hey, I, I would like to be in special operations. There's that big circle. And then it's like, how many people say it? How many people actually try out? How many actually people pass? How many of those people that pass actually make it to day one of training? And you see where I'm going with this. You can just literally keep going down and down and down and down until there's like a, a dot. And that's at the end. But that's just the end of training, right? Just to get to that point. So you're always going through barriers. You're always getting smaller as, as far as like the, the more you progress, your circle becomes smaller, but your circle becomes stronger at the same time. So... Just realizing that you have to pause your life and accept the change. So when I went into selection, literally everything in my life was on pause. Uh, I just lost my dad and I didn't fully deal with all that, but I joined the military anyway. And I was like, I have to get on in my life and I have to do this. 
everything at home was taken care of. Like everybody knew not to like reach out to me or bother me like in, in a non-selfish way, but I was there presently every single day and I had to live for that day because I didn't know if I was going to make it through the day. Um, that kind of leads into the next part is I thoroughly believe you cannot have a plan B in training. You can't. I, I always tell, talk to people and say, do not have a plan B until you make it. If you make it into the unit, then absolutely have a plan B. Reason being is there are some moments when the adrenaline's gone, it's middle of the night, the wa water is freezing cold, you're, you just did like a 30-mile ruck run, you're getting your ass handed to you from log PT, and they literally beat the motivation and adrenaline and everything out of you in, until you're in this hole going, oh my God, I can't do this. That plan B starts looking really attractive. And you're like, yeah, I could just quit right now, and tomorrow I'm going to be in a hot shower or comfy bed. And that plan B is waiting for it. Right. And I saw it firsthand. I saw it firsthand with a lot of guys who were like, yeah, man, if I don't make it through, you know, I, I can go back work with my dad. He's got a construction business or yeah, I, I'll just go to PA school and then I'll become a PA. Like I already have it lined up. And those guys all went away and, and they're not bad dudes, but you know, good luck to them. Like not everybody's meant to, to be in that unit and they've gone on to do great things. And I still talk to them every now and then. But that plan B can also be your, your undoing just mentally and getting in and that when it's really bad. Um, in the unlikely event that you do make it, um, you need to show up extremely humble, fresh, make yourself available, and make sure you are trainable. Okay, that is the big word there is be trainable. If you think you show up and you have arrived and you got to that unit and you walk around and you think that you're, hey, I arrived. It's just like, you might as well just turn around, turn in your tab, your, your, your trident, like whatever you wear, you might as well just turn your stuff in and leave the unit because you are there to learn. You are there to be humble. You are there to be the new guy and learn your profession. You just passed the basic stuff. Now you're there to learn your profession among some of the world's best people that ever that have ever been in warfare. Um, with that too, this is very common today. So right now we're not exactly in the wartime as if you know as we were in the in the early 2000s to mid 2000s with Iraq Afghanistan. When I came in, uh, I came in, man, and I got my I would get my ass handed to me on on a daily basis if I even showed any portion of being cocky, remotely soft, bragging, act like I was already part of it. Um, that history, you need to read a lot before you even consider going to that unit. Okay. Figure out when they were born, like when their unit was created, what their purpose was, who they were, who like, not just who they were, but who were these people that volunteered to go and do these missions that were accomplished and these amazing things. You need to respect the history because it's bigger than yourself way bigger than yourself. This is not about you anymore. This is about the history, that brotherhood, that team, um, that holds a lot of weight. Um, don't live in the past and, and make your own history. So a lot of guys now these days are coming in and I'll call it non-wartime, non all right? These guys are coming in instantly wearing all the same, you know, little stuff that we see, but like sunglasses and t-shirts and 
you know, walking around getting tattoos and like all this stuff like they, yeah, I've been there, done that. And it's just like, dude, you're a new guy. You're on your first platoon. If I, if I see you like that again, I'm going to smash you. Like that's, that's my mentality is just like, you haven't earned that yet. You literally walked into here. You see all these pictures on the walls of past platoons and everybody else that have been down range have done great things. have lost teammates and brothers. You do not deserve to walk in here and act like you own the place or that you can go out in town and act like you're one of us because you don't represent us. Not one person represents everybody. It's that culture, that community, everything that we have been born of, which is war. That's we, we define ourselves as a community, not one person. And you need to come in with that mentality. And I think Raph already said it, but never forget where you came from and that you did not get to where you are by yourself. Um, every guy that I've seen on social media, putting out like podcasts about how awesome or badass they are, or, you know, well, I was in special operations for this many years and I'm this badass and whatever. There's always one person that knows you or that knows that person. That's like, yeah, I completely remember him being a total bitch uh, under the log or that he wanted to quit or, you know, he got caught wearing two wetsuits for the, for the swim or, you know, like whatever it is, there's, everybody has a story. Nobody's that badass to get through that training by themselves. Um, like you always hear like, Oh man, he breathes through selection. I highly doubt that dude. Okay. Like I've seen some really awesome phys physical dudes. Um, but there's six, seven other guys, uh, you know, in your, in your squad and your boat crew, like whatever you have that were, pulling that weight just as much. And you need to, you need to shut the hell up and realize that like you, you couldn't have done what you did without your teammates, but then also going back into it, like your support personnel who made you food, who did your comms for you, um, you know, all, all of that. Um, so if you can't do any of those things and you think it's going to be different, you think it's going to come in and it's Hollywood, that it's all great times, sunshine and stuff on the, you know, out, out in the woods shooting guns with old boys and like whatever then just don't even bother. Like there's plenty of other, other units to go to have a great time. You'll be successful in them, but for special operations, we do not need you if you cannot do these things. All right. Like don't, don't waste my time. Don't come trying to into my team and I'm your leader because I'll just kick you right out. I'll figure out a way to get rid of you. Come in, be humble, be the guy that everybody wants to have around the team, always volunteer and just show why you deserve to be there. All right. I know I kind of went off on a tangent. I'm very passionate about that because I see it all the time, but uh, that's my advice. I love it. Just, just I'm going to just shout out to a first name only. There's a bloke called Shauno. He listens from Queensland in Australia, and he's just going to be right now like punching the air and being like, exactly what Mike's saying. <laughs> and in the Australian Air Force, like we have a massive thing in Australia called the tall poppy syndrome. Like if you stick up your head and you start big noting yourself, you are going to get like slaughtered by your mates and the newest guy graduates on uh, pilot's course even the newest guy graduates on hornet course in australia they're referred to as the bog rat i don't know if you guys use that term in uh, the u.s army raf the bog rat so you know nothing and you you are a liability you're, you're not trusted with anything and and people will ride you so i saw a couple of cadets in my in my time instructing who turned up at like the training unit like high-fiving each other and carrying on with a jet pilot sticker on the back window of the car. And those guys would like taken apart by, uh, by staff before they were allowed to, you know, they never graduated. It was like, you need to shelve that stuff. 
Are you done there, Mike? Is there more you got for us? Because that's frigging gold. I'm loving it. No, that's it, man. No, if anybody wants to hit me up about it, I'll uh, digitally drop you down and get you wet and sandy and beat the hell out of you and tell you why you're wrong. So, uh, <laughs> but no, that's good, man. All right, great. Hey, so, so, I, hey Melon, if I could just, I just want to piggyback off what I think everyone's alluded to. And it's, we've all kind of talked about how don't forget the people that helped you, more specifically your girlfriend and your wife, because I've seen a lot of marriages damn near crumble under the pressure of these professions, right? Special operations, being a pilot, being away from home. So not just simply acknowledging your wife or your girlfriend, but actually doing something about it, right? Hey, babe, I'm going to be gone for two weeks to go do this exercise wherever I'm going. When I come back, we're going to carve out some time. I'm going to, like, I'm going to dedicate myself to you. That will go further than you'll ever imagine. Ask me how I know. Ask me how I know. Because I've been, I've been on both sides of that fence. So just word of the wise. Word of the wise. Keep the misses in train. So you've heard some, you've heard some key uh, stories here, guys, from a couple of pilots, special ops, and a hugely successful uh, construction, uh, you know, general contractor manager who is putting multi-million dollar houses together for the rich and shameless. And I think there's some common themes here in terms of um, recognizing that's a human endeavor. There's a certain amount of technical knowledge that you're going to have to pick up. Uh, you hear Casey's talking about uh, his individual trade background as a framer, and then now he's in a broad knowledge. He's not a super specialist. You hear a common theme from all, all of us. I know, uh, I don't think Mike mentioned it specifically, but ongoing study, you, you've never arrived, whether it's ongoing training or learning a new weapon system and learning new tactics or picking up those new tips and tricks on uh, how to, to better do a trade skill. But there's, there's some common themes that you're going to hear here. Each day is taken 100%. Uh, that you, you've got to invest yourself in what you're doing. You've got to remain trainable. You're, uh, you're there to learn your profession and uh, researching and understanding what it is that you're attempting to do and the footsteps of those who've preceded you and the people who've assisted you to get through. So hopefully uh, there's some tips in here that are applicable. You know, I'm sure they're not necessarily uh, for everyone uh, in terms of aircrew, special forces or construction. But I think that a lot of these themes are going to resonate for young people coming up. And I know that there'll be professionals out there and tradespeople, people of all stripes uh, with some success uh, in their back pocket who are, going to, who are going to recognize some of these themes. So once again, like many things, an individual name of the situation might be different, but the experience or the uh, mentality is very much the same. So from, uh, from all of us uh, here at Not Your Average Operator, we'd like to thank Casey Ingram for joining us again up there in uh, Spokane, smashing it in the snow. If you need a, a man who can do some quality work, he's a guy to look for clearly. So Casey, thanks very much for joining us again, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. This is uh, you guys are, you guys are crazy. Your platform is, is awesome. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Well, we appreciate it, man. So uh, from us, uh, remember, if you want to get a, a message through to Casey, feel free to hit any of us up. Uh, I know Raf knows him best. So not your average Raf, not your average Mike 77 or not your average Paul at uh, gmail.com. Uh, we love a review. If you guys uh, would be so kind as to le leave a uh, written review, it does help us with all the algorithms pushing our, our show out and trying to get this message out um, and uh, sharing and retweeting and all that sort of stuff really helps us. So until next time, stay focused, stay safe, and look after your friends all the best.